Uh, Les, we had a great uh, we had a great New Year. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Barb and Tim and Pastor Ben and Amanda for for uh, well, Pastor B- Amanda and Ben what for holding down the fort. Pastor Tim and Barb for storming the gates of hell. So, so we had two things going. So you can't send everybody out to storm the gates of hell. Somebody's got to stay back and make sure the, the place is right. But we had a great time. Uh, man, me and my, when, this year we decided instead of buying a bunch of gifts for everybody, we were going to spend our money and, and I, the whole family go on a trip. So we spent a few days up in Quebec, Canada. With, and yes, I know some of you are like, you're going to where it's cold. I know. We, I, I do love the cold weather. And, uh, but I'll just tell you, one of my favorite gifts I got, uh, and I guarantee you nobody's got this. Y'all ready? Take a look at these socks <laughs> with Juno's picture on it. That's right. I may, ooh, hold on a minute. I feel like a golfer. So, that's right. And we had a blast up there. Uh, one of the things, they've got a, uh, a uh, winter theme park where they got over 35-plus slides uh, that you can, go, you can go down. And, and so I strapped Juno to me and shared, and uh, she was like, Dad, I want you to enjoy yourself. I'll take I said, no, man, I am enjoying myself. I strapped that little girl to me. Man, we rode the tubes. They, they had, it was brilliant. You didn't have to walk up the hill, but you did have to somehow, when that little tube was coming around, Plant your butt in that hole and let it carry you to the top. And me and Juno fell a couple of times, but that's all right. She was a trooper. And then we rode down and she would just, just down. We, had, we had a blast. But uh, guys, happy new year. I can guarantee, I can't make a lot of guarantees in life, but I can make you this guarantee. That today's 11 a.m. service will be the best 11 a.m. service you have attended in 2020. This will be the best message I've preached this year. The band did the best job they've ever done this year. It was amazing. This is the best offering we've had this year. It's all the best. And look at, look at your neighbor and say, you look better than you have all year. So... so Hey, a couple of things. Are, are we live, uh, Kevin? Welcome to our Facebook uh, family that's watching. A couple of things before we kick off and jump into the message. Uh, every year we do a corporate fast and prayer. We're doing it a little different this year. It kicks off tomorrow, 21 days of prayer. The church is going to be open every evening at 7 p.m. This Saturday mornings we'll do 9 a.m. here. Um, but what we're doing with the fast, because here's what happens if you're honest. We start off strong with the fast. And then by day four or five, we're negotiating our fast with God. Okay, God, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And by the end, it's no fast at all. It's you just praying for God to forgive you for eating all the crap you shouldn't have eaten. Uh, let's be honest. So what we're going to do, we're going to do this three, four times this year. Uh, to, tomorrow, we kick off a three-day Liquids, water only, fast. Wednesday night. Now, listen. I know. I, I, I know there are, but there are very few people that can't do it because of their physical health. Everybody, almost everybody, can go three days. It will not kill you. Uh, but I'm going to encourage you to be part of this because we want. The Bible says there are only certain things that happen through prayer and fasting. And we will do this again, this three days of fasting in April. We'll do it in July, and then we'll do it in September, I think it is, where we have those. And we always going to close them out like Wednesday night. We'll close it out with a night of prayer and worship. So be a part of that. Well, are you all ready for the first sermon of 2020? Yeah. Uh, you can't talk about it without talking about resolutions. Now, how many would be honest enough to say you've made some resolutions for 2020? We got a few. Okay, here's what I know. Whether you verbalized it or not, whether you wrote it down or not, everyone in this room, every person in this room, I don't care your age, where you come from, you have got at least one thing you want to be different in 2020. 
You've got a, a marriage, a relationship, your finances, health. You, you want things to be better, your walk with Christ. You've got some things you want to be different, some addictions broken off of you, some, some sins broken off of you. You've got some things that you want to be different. So we've got, that's why we come to these things. We make New Year's resolutions. Anybody know where it came from, where it started? Actually, the Babylonians started over 4,000 years ago. And they would make these, they would throw this 12-day party. Basically what it is, where they would uh, make promises to their gods like, hey, uh, what we're going to do this year, we're going to pay back everybody we owe. And this, here's my favorite. And we're going to give back everything we borrowed from people. <laughs> and some of y'all, are like, well, uh, they don't know I borrowed it. Uh, so <laughs> still going to give it back. Uh, but we, these resolutions, so what does that even mean? I, so I like, okay, I'm going to look up the definition. Here's one definition I read of resolution. A promise to yourself to do or not to do something. A promise to yourself to do or not to do something. Can we agree? If that worked, we would all be all better off financially. We would be 30, 40, 50, 100 pounds lighter. We would be in the best shape of our life. Come on, our marriages, our relationship. If just making a promise to yourself did it. But it doesn't. Come on. Some of y'all are four days in, five days into this, and I'll bet you're out the window. You're like, forget it. I'm not making resolutions. But here's a definition of resolution that really stuck out to me. Something settled or resolved. I don't know about you. I've got some things I want settled and resolved as we go into this new year. I want to look back on 2020 seeing several things that were settled or resolved. I don't want to look back thinking, oh, I guess we'll do it next year. I guess we'll get rid of this next year. I want some things to be settled or resolved. So how do we do that? I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. It starts with yes. Starts with saying yes. English Roberts, most of y'all know English. She owns a restoration clinic down in Decatur, Tennessee. I called, I made some calls this week, uh, just asking some people about different things and how they started and so May 4th of 2014, English hosted what she would call girl talk. It, she said it's an event that God had laid upon her heart to start, but she had no faith in her ability to pull it off, which if you know English, that's laughable. Her words were this, I was using shame, lack of experience, and time as excuses for not following the voice of God. That was May 4th of 2014. May 5th of 2014. If this is wrong English, correct me later because this makes the story really good. Uh, so May 5th, the next day, she said she was going to Piggly Wiggly. Notice a for rent sign in the building attached to the Piggly Wiggly indicator. And if you're new to the South, every small town has three things. A Piggly Wiggly, a Hardee's, and a dollar store. Got them all. Uh, what more can you need? Uh, but she said, I saw that. So she said, I felt compelled to go in. So she said, she walked into that store. And, and she walked in or walked into that, that vacant building. And the guy was there that owned it. And he said, oh, I, I just put this up about an hour ago. What you need, I need to back up because it was, it was actually on December 5th that she walked away from her forever job. What she thought a place she would be at forever. And she began to pray about where God wanted her to go from there. And then on May 9th, she was offered a new job, making great money. Walked in there. She'd been praying, God show me. And she said, God show me, this is not the place for you. But she also said this. During this time that she didn't have a job, I had committed to tithing the same amount regardless of my employment status. I was a little stressed about this at first because I knew what my bills were, but knew this was an important part of sacrifice and my commitment to walk with Christ. Then May 12, 2014, she went to Piggly Wiggly, saw the for rent sign, 
walked in. The owner had just put it up an hour before. She said she was immediately flooded with his passion. Open up your own clinic here. She had never done it before. But immediately, she went. The owner said, I put it up an hour before. She said, I said, I've got it. I'll take it. This is my place. So then she went in that evening. She, she went online, filed for her business license in the state of Tennessee. She also set out to make a date for opening. giving. So that was May, 4, May 12th. Well, uh, she set her opening date uh, for August 1st, 2014, less than 90 days out from when she said, yes, God, I'll do it. And that 90 days also had to be completely renovated, the, the clinic facility. That was 2014. And there's so much more of this story I'd like to share, but I do not have time. But she said this uh, because of her listening to the voice of God. In 2014, Restoration Clinic saw over 2,200 patients. This past year, 2019, they saw over 11,300 patients. But that's not the good part. During that time, they have led over 26 people to Christ. Over 35 people have rededicated their lives to Christ. On average, uh, if I'm wrong about it, y'all pray with over 20 plus people a week in the clinic. And they're seeing miracles every week. Why? All because one young girl who'd never done something before, God whispered, God spoke, and she said, yes. It starts with yes. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. I'm going to look at a guy that wouldn't necessarily be considered a hero of our faith, but when you know his story, he absolutely is a hero of our faith. A guy by the name of Ananias. Anybody heard of Ananias? I'm not talking about the one that was struck dead, him and his wife, for lying to the Holy Spirit. This is a different one. There's not a lot that we know about Ananias. Here's what we do know. He was a disciple of Christ. We knew that, know this, he knew the voice of God well enough to answer him when he spoke. Ananias was also just as much a human as you and I. No Superman. And we know this, God had a lot of trust in him. We meet Ananias for the first time in Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put it up on the screen. You may, there we go. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Let's stop right there. It says, in Damascus, there was what? Come on, 11 a.m. There was what? A disciple by the name of Ananias. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, I'm thinking about coffee. In Hebrew, the word for disciple is Talmud. It's important you understand what the word means to understand what a disciple really is when we say disciple. Talmud means student. But even more, it, it, the word they use for disciple, that Talmud, it stressed the relationship between the rabbi or the teacher. And the disciple, the student. One article I read said this. A Talmud of Jesus' day would give up their entire life in order to be with their teacher. It wasn't enough for the disciple. was to become exactly like the rabbi. To do what the rabbi did. To say what the rabbi said. And it says that in Damascus, there was a Talmud, a disciple named Ananias. There was a man that would give up anything and everything to be just like his rabbi, Jesus. No doubt, Ananias had prayed a prayer that Jews, even to this day, pray in the morning and evening. I think the proper pronunciation is Shema. And here's what it says. It's taken from Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. No doubt he prayed that in the morning. No doubt he prayed that in the evening. And I think it was during one of those prayer sessions when he was alone with God that he heard God whisper, Ananias. Ananias. And Ananias responded, yes, Lord. 
When I read this and study it, I think, how many times has God whispered our name? And we may not say no, but we either ignore it, act like we didn't ever hear it, or come up with some excuse. When he whispers our name, what happens when you and I say no to the voice of God? Here's a better question. What would it look like for our communities, our families, our, our cities, if we began to say yes every time we heard the whisper of God? Here's what I believe. You want to have a better year than you did in 2019? You want to live a more supernatural life than you did in 2019? You want to flourish more in your walk with God? You want your marriage to do more than just survive? Come on. You want your finances to be more than just getting by? Uh, you want your life to make a difference? You want your life to live a life of purpose? You want those things? It starts with yes. James Lacombe. Started Triple H Ministries, his home, his, uh, his hands homeless outreach. Talked to James because I know the story of it. He's part of our church, and a lot of our people here will go out with him on those days. My husband said, James, when you first heard God speaking to you about starting this homeless ministry, what was that like for you? He said, PK, there was a whole lot of denial. God, you got the wrong guy. He said, then it went to den from denial to negotiating with God. Come on, anybody ever been there? I've Listen, I still negotiate with God even though I know God's always going to win. I, I am that stubborn. Come on, anybody else? Thank you. Some of y'all were honest. James said, when I finally said, okay, God, let's do this. He was put in touch with another gentleman that had been doing a, a, a homeless ministry in, down in Georgia. And he, he agreed to come up. He said, he took me out that day, and we were in Chattanooga walking the streets, the area of the homeless. And he said, I remember at the end of the day, I walked behind the church, sat down, and cried like a baby. He said, I cried because I know his, his words, why God had been pestering me so much. God will do it. He said, but he said, and I said, yes, that day. He said, but the thing is, I know me. He said, I know I've got to be reminded why I say yes. And he said, even today, he said, that, that, I forget how many years ago, he said, I've got post-it notes of all around my house. He said, when I wake up in the morning, post-it notes, he said, they say things like this. I will be disciplined today. I will make wise decisions today. And I love these. He said, when it says, I will give people the benefit of the doubt. I will believe the best about others. He said, those post-it notes are there to remind me to keep saying yes. This past year, 2019, uh, His Hands Outreach impacted and ministered to somewhere between 1,200 to 1,500 homeless people. Anybody think those 12 to 1,500 homeless people are glad James Lacombe said yes? What if it said no? You, see, you think, God, God can do anything. Absolutely, God can do anything. But here's the great thing about God. God looks down and he chooses to invite us in to the work with him. He wants us to be a part of it. He does, yes, he could absolutely, bam, this happened, bam. But he says, I want you to be a part. I want you to be my hands, my feet, my voice in this world. We serve a God that can heal, restore, redeem. But what God really loves doing is taking people and say, hey, I want you. Come here. You're right here. I want you there. You, oh, I got a place for you. Here's where I want you. And he loves taking people, especially those that feel like nobody else wants them, and saying, I want you on my team. I want you on my team. And I feel like the problem is not that we don't hear the whispers of God. The problem is we ignore them. Or we negotiate. Or we make up excuses. And in my opinion, the church dies a little every time we say no. Listen to me, church. You want to find peace? When God speaks, say yes. Are you hearing me? 
You want to find hope? When God speaks, say yes. You want to be in God's presence? When God speaks, say yes. You want to find rest? When God speaks, say yes. You want to flow in the supernatural and see God work miracles? When God speaks, say yes. You want, your, you want God's best for your life? When God speaks, say yes. You want to find purpose? You want to find joy? You want some addictions, some sins broken off your life? When God speaks, say yes. Man, y'all quiet bunch today. Somebody at least say yes. Or amen. I'll take an amen even. But I tell you this, you saying yes to the voice of God gives you the best chance possible to experience a supernatural walk with God. Here's what I know. God wants every person in this room to play a key role in the transformation of your community. He wants every person in this room to play a key role in the transformation of your school, your business place, the parks, your, where you go and get your groceries. He wants you to play a part of that. And it only happens when we say yes, yes. He said, I can tell you this, he's trying to get your attention. He's whispering your name. And yet you and I continue to say no. I mean, come on, we, we, we throw excuses at God. God, I'm not qualified to do this. God, I've never done this before. I'm so glad English and James said, I've never done this before. God, get somebody that's done it before. I guarantee you the 11,300 patients that she saw last year are thankful she didn't throw excuses at God. The people that James ministered to didn't throw excuses at God. I'm telling you guys, we've got to learn to say yes. Ananias heard God speak and said, yes, Lord, whatever you want from me. Hey, whatever the question is you've got to ask me, Lord, say yes. Now, now, won't you look, I'm convinced of this. God wants to get our answers before he tells us the whole story. Hey, I got something for you to do. Yes, Lord. Oh, wait, what, what is it you want me to do? Because here's, look what he tells Ananias. Ananias says, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, you need to understand, Ananias is a disciple of Jesus. He is up to date on all things Christian, all things going on in the kingdom of God. And right now, I've got to be thinking, Ananias is, uh, Lord, uh, I've been going through some sickness. My ears are kind of stopped up. I could have swore you said a guy from Tarsus named Saul. I mean, listen, God, have, have, you, have you saw Fox News or CNN lately? Do you see what he's doing? Well, let me make this more relevant to some of you because you don't know what those are. Have you looked at TMZ lately? Have you saw that what, what, what this guy named Saul has been going around? God, this is the same Saul of Tarsus that went all over Jerusalem, pulling Christians out of their homes, out of their places of worship, putting chains on them, throwing them into prison. He is responsible for the beating and the humiliation of some of my closest friends. God, this is the same Saul that killed one of my comrades, Stephen. Are you sure Saul? Get this, it didn't just happen in Jerusalem. Saul was on such a warpath and had such a hatred for the name of Jesus Christian that he went before the officials and said, I hear that this Christian movement is actually spreading to Damascus. Damascus is 150 miles away. Listen, I won't drive 150 miles for my worst enemy, much less walk that far. But he has such a hatred. I'm going to stop this movement. Give me the papers. Give me, give me the authority to go. And God, you, that's, he was on his way here for people like me. That's who you're telling me to go talk to. And here God says, Ananias, you said yes. You said you'd do whatever I ask you to do. Now I'm asking you to go down a straight street. 
A guy there owns a house. His name is Judas. God, why? Because there's a guy there named Saul. And he has been praying. And he's been crying out to me. He's blind and I need you to go be the hands and feet of Jesus to this man. But God, Saul of Tarsus. You know, it's so funny. God, God is so funny to me. He doesn't give any of the details. Like, to me, I think it would have made Ananias' decision a little easier if it said, hey, Ananias, listen, here's what I need you to do, but I want to give you a little backstory. I want to lead with this. Uh, you know, you've heard of Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, yeah, God, the guy that's killing him. Yeah, he was on his way to, to get you and some of the others, and I stopped him. I put this big light that blinded him. It knocked him off his donkey. And me and Heaven had a conversation right there. And he's like, hey, who, Lord, who is this? And it's like, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting me. And he kind of repented. And I sent him, I said, hey, go to this place. I'd be like, God, why do you lead with that? Start out with that information. God doesn't give him any of that information. He says, go. Here's what's going to happen. He's there waiting on you. He's expecting you. And I, you know, you think about Saul, or about Ananias, what must have been running through his mind. What about Saul? What must have been running through his mind? This guy that was so powerful at one time, this guy that walked with such authority, now is in a stranger's home blind. And he only has one promise from God. There's a guy named Ananias coming to see you, to lay hands on you, and you'll receive your sight. Anybody think God had a lot of trust in Ananias? The fact that he told Saul what was going to happen before he even relayed that information to Ananias? I want to be that guy. God has so much faith that three days down the road, he's already, he's already said, hey, Kelly's coming. I haven't talked to him about it yet, but I know him well enough to know he's going to say yes. So he's coming. I don't know about you. I want that kind of relationship where, God, whatever it is, yes, it doesn't make sense. I don't care. Let's go. I want to say yes. Sends him to Saul. Do you know what Saul means? It means to seek out, to ask for. Can I tell you, we encounter Saul's every day. At work, at school, in our communities, in our neighborhoods that are just seeking something out, seeking somebody out, waiting for an Ananias to show up. Look what Ananias says to God. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man. All the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I can hear Ananias. It's like, God, don't send me there. It's a setup. I saw this on Chris Hansen. <laughs> he goes in the room thinking it's one thing, and then, bam, you're arrested. God, don't send me there. It's a setup. And he's like, I'll speak to you, and you will immediately respond to a yes, and you'll step out of that yes, but then your thoughts start telling you what a crazy idea this is. How foolish you're going to look. How crazy it's going to seem to other people that are looking on if you say yes. That if you really share your story about what you've walked through, they're going to look at you differently. Come on, and fear begins to come at your mind and try to reason with you. And it's in that moment you have to make a decision. What will you trust more, the supernatural power of God or the fear of people? I'm convinced there are a lot of times that God speaks and we say, yes, Lord. But we think about it. We think about the cost. We think about how much time our time it's going to take, the effort, the energy, the hours and we back up and say, no, let's wait a minute. Pastor Barb and Tim, y'all don't know some of their story. Um, we met them years ago at a church in Cleveland, and they felt this call of God to plant a church in Sweetwater, Tennessee. It was 1998, right? June 1998. And... Uh, they began to go up there, and God really began to deal with them about the children in the community. She said there were so many kids 
And God just began to break your heart for the kids. And we said, Let, let's do this thing called Operation Celebration. And what they, their plan was, they're going to set, they set this, this uh, van, or I think it was a van, up in the park. They would have loud music going, and it would draw the kids every Saturday. The kids would come. They'd hear the gospel. They'd win prizes. Listen, if, it take, if I have to give away a prize to win a kid's heart, I'll do it every time. Come on. Why do you think we do some of the stupid stuff we do here? To get people to hear Jesus, to hear the voice of God. But it's in that they, they said, we began to, they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Let's go door to door. And they, they put people in different neighborhoods. The neighborhood that they got, they chose, was the neighborhood close to Engelman Park over, uh, that's the name of it, right? Over, over in Sweetwater. And she said, we didn't know this. She said, but we later found out this park or this neighborhood was called Pickle Town. It was the black neighborhood. And she said, we got there and we began to go door to door. And she said, the day come for her first operation celebration. And it's almost 10 o'clock and there was no kids in sight. She said, so me and Tim walked off. We began to pray. We come back, we looked out, and here comes five kids by the name of Anthony, Tamara, Just, is it James, Nicole, and Tiffany. Some of you know her as Tiffany Goins that sang on our praise team this morning. Can I tell you this? That because Barb and Tim said yes. Her life was forever changed. Forever changed. Uh, they, they could have, come on, it had been very easy for them to throw excuses. Uh, God, um, we're a little too pale for this area. <laughs> Somebody else might do a better job at reaching. Somehow, but, you know, we're, we, we, when, to say we can't dance is an understatement. We can't even jump on time. Uh, <laughs> Barb, come Come on, Barb, we've seen your march. Uh, come on. <laughs> it would have been very easy. But I tell you this, I'm so glad they didn't say no. I know my brother Casey is so glad they didn't say no. I know she's got some daughters that are glad that Barb and Tim didn't say no. Because forever the trajectory of her life took a turn that day that it might not ever have taken had they said, no, God. We're here to start a church, not children's ministry. I'm telling you. There has to come a time, guys, when you weigh the odds. And you weigh things out and you look at your family. You look at your city. You look at your community. You look at your marriage. And you have to say, it's not worth it for me to say no. It's not worth it for me just to sit on the sidelines. It's not worth it for me just to be glad that I'm on the team. I want in the game. I want to make a difference. You know, I watched that. Watched the, the, it's such a great weekend because both Tennessee teams won. And they, one of the teams, Tennessee teams took down the Devil's Dynasty there in Foxborough. Uh, <laughs> Where's Jay and Jesse? Uh, but it's such a great weekend. But I, anybody watch the Tennessee Vols game? That, that onside kick was masterful. And you know, what, you, know what, you know what Pruitt said when they interviewed him? He said, I bet over the six months we've run that play five or six hundred times. Can you imagine the players? Come on, coach, again. When are we ever going to use this? Chris, is there going to be a day we're going to need to say yes to this play? Learn it. And I'm telling you, we can quit making excuses. We can quit saying this is just a waste of our time. Or we can just respond to yes to whatever the coach is telling us to do. To whatever the play that the coach is calling. Yes, coach, you know what's best. I'm in. I'm going to do it. You know what? Uh, uh, Garantano learned a valuable lesson at the Alabama game. When he went against the coach's orders, it cost him his position. And luckily, he was humble enough to say, coach, I'm sorry. Put me back in. 
And he followed the coach's orders. I'm going to tell you, guys, you want, you want to make a difference? Say yes every time the coach says, run this play. Do this. I want you over here. Even when it does not make sense. I guarantee it made no sense to the team running that play five or six hundred times. But it won them a bowl game. And it made my year a little bit easier. <laughs> what if English had said no? What if James McComb had said no? What if Barbara and Tim Sally had said no? What if Ananias had said no? Here's what I love about this. Ananias brings his concerns to God, his real questions to God. And God doesn't say, are you, got, are you kidding me? Don't question me. God understands we're going to have, there are going to be questions. And so he responded, look, look what the Lord said to Ananias in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. God's like, Ananias, I understand. You don't see the full picture. All you see is the murderer. All you see, the guy that has been terrorizing my people. But what you don't see is the thousands upon thousands upon millions of lives that will be changed because of this man. Go. Go. I think Ananias found himself in a place where many of us do. Where if we want to live a life full of purpose, if we want to experience the fullness, the supernaturalness of God, we have to get to a place where we say yes even when it doesn't make sense to us. We have to get to a place where we say yes when, when we don't even like what, we're, what God's asking us. Come on. Come on, I've been there. We have to get to a place where we say, yes, even though I may lose friends, I can't see the full picture, I might be rejected, even though I don't understand, even if it's not the way I would have chosen, my answer is yes, Lord. That's where we've got to be. God told Ananias, I've chosen this man. You can't see the full picture, but all I'm asking of you is to go. And check it out, verse 17. Look what Ananias does. Say those first three words. Then God said, listen, I know you don't understand, but go. Then Ananias went to the house and entered, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Understand, Ananias didn't know the house he was going to. He didn't know Judas, the guy that owned the house. And he had heard stories about Saul. But he, he shows up at the door of this street. Uh, not, not Judas says, hey, uh, is there a guy here by the name of Saul from Tarsus? Yeah, are, are you Ananias? Well, how'd you know? Because you're all he's been talking about for three days. said, you're coming. said, God told him you were coming. And he has not eaten in three days. He's been waiting just for you. What, see, Paul wasn't just fasting and praying for three days. He was relying on the word that God spoke to him. A man named Ananias is coming to visit you. And things will be different once he lays hands on you. And Ananias comes in, he lays hands on Saul. And then what does he say? Brother Saul. Can I be honest? I don't know if I could have done that. I don't know if I could have walked into a room, saw a man that was responsible for the death of one of my comrades, and said, brother I don't know if I could have walked in and saw the man that, that I know he had pulled family members of mine, friends of mine, outside of there and thrown them in prison and, and was the cause of them beating and said, brother. But you see, because he was willing to say, yes, Lord, he didn't see Saul anymore. as He, he saw Saul as God saw him. Yes. Start with Yes. And I love this. Verse 18. He lays hands on him. Immediately something like scales fell from the Saul's eyes. He could see again. And he got up and was baptized. If I could get Bob or Bob to come on up. Saul lays hands, or Ananias lays hands on Saul. His eyes opened up. He was immediately baptized. Takes him out to a body of water. 
takes him out to a creek. I don't know where it was. But here's what I know. Even though baptism does not save you, let me be clear about that. It is a prophetic declaration. And what happened? When Ananias got Saul and put him under water, what went under that water was the murderer Saul. What went under that water was the terrorist Saul. What went under that water was the man that hated Jesus with a vengeance. But what came out of that water was Paul. The man who would write the third of the New Testament. The, the man that would plant more churches than anybody else. The man that we would hear the words that he has written. And many of us, our salvation is responsible for words we heard that he wrote. Because he said, Ananias said, yes. And I like to think, Kelly, I know Paul. Can I tell you this? Not everyone can be a Paul, but everyone can be an Ananias. Does the church need more Pauls? Absolutely. But I'll tell you this, the church will not get more Pauls until the church gets more Ananiases. People that are willing to say yes. People that are willing to share their story. People that are willing to get uncomfortable. People who are willing to get out of their comfort zone and just say, yes, Lord, I don't understand it, but yes. I may look foolish, but yes. What is it? Where are the Ananiases in this that are willing to just say yes? What's up, our church? You may have heard of D.L. Moody. Great preacher. Story goes, D.L. Moody goes to London to preach. He meets a guy with the last name Meyer, leads him to Jesus. Meyer then leads a guy named with the last name Chapman to Jesus. Chapman comes over to the U.S. to preach and teach. He meets a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday gets saved. Chapman leads Billy Sunday to the Lord. Billy Sunday begins preaching and teaching, finds himself in Charlotte. He starts preaching downtown Charlotte. Businessmen are getting saved. People are getting saved. And they come to Bill and they say, listen, everybody needs to hear this. Can you come back in three weeks and do a crusade? Billy says, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm booked. But there's a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham that is incredible reach out to him they reach out and invite a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham to come and speak at, at this crusade Mordecai comes to speak the second night of this crusade young man walks in the back tall lanky skinny young man very cynical of everything that's going on in that, in that meeting and he sits there and throughout the meeting God begins to deal with his heart Second night of the revival. At the end, this yank, tall, uh, lanky young man stands up, walks down to the front, gives his heart to Jesus. His name was Billy Frank, or as you may know him, Billy Graham. What if Mordecai had said no? My wife, who's got her grandbaby out right now, at an early age, was saved at a Billy Graham crusade. What if Billy Graham had said no? We don't know the effects that we have when we say no. All I know is this. When we say no, our churches miss out. When we say no, our schools miss out. When we say no, the businesses we are in miss out. When we say no, our communities miss out. When we say no, our marriages miss out. When we say no, the kingdom of God misses out. When we say no, you miss out on, on, on being able to operate through the supernatural that God wants you to operate in. What if Mordecai Hammond said no? What if Billy Graham had said no? Denise had said no. What if Pastor Tim and Barb had said no? What if English had said no? James Lacombe said no. What if Ananias had said no? What if Paul had said no? What if Kenneth and Connie Goins over 38 years ago had said no? I may be 35 years ago. I can't remember what it was. 
What if they said no? God, we don't know anybody in Max County. Send us to some place we know. Here's the question. What if you say no? Who's going to miss out? What's going to happen if you say no? As your pastor, I don't want you to miss out on the life God has for you because you were too uncomfortable to say yes. Because you saw it wasn't worth your time, your effort. Can I be real? I look out, man, and Matt Sattler, you don't know how much this guy, when he first came here, sit on the very back row. If we had had a row that sat outside the church, Matt would have sat on it. This past Easter, Matt got out of his comfort zone, signed up to be part of our Easter drama that we do here. And I've watched God begin to move and work. And you say, Kelly, come on, that's not, I'm telling you, the smallest yeses begin to move us in the right direction. The small, what you don't think, what you think is insignificant now, look at him now, he's four, what, four from the front, good Lord. I think about Paul Wallace, who was so uncomfortable in worship. I mean, he, he didn't even do the pocket, the thumb raises for worship. You know, where you, now you look at Paul, though, because he said, yes, God, what do you want from me? I want to grow as a man. I want to grow as a husband. I want to grow. And now you see him in worship unashamed. I'm telling you, I don't want to just be a church on this. I don't want to attend church every Sunday just for the sake of attending church. I want to come in here, get my marching orders from the coach, and then I want to go outside this place and say yes. And I want to, I want to be that guy that says yes, that if God is having a conversation with the angel or Jesus, and they're like, this is so stupid. Nobody will ever say yes to this. They're going to be like, get Kelly. He's just stupid enough to try anything. I want to be that guy. I want to pastor a church full of people. That we're not concerned what anybody else, even other churches, think about us. Because we know who we are. We have been called here to tell our story to the lost. To raise up disciples. To raise up Talmuds that will give everything to follow Jesus. But here's the thing. You want a better life? It starts with you saying yes. You want a better marriage? starts with you saying yes you want a better walk with Christ starts with you saying yes you want to see someone lost that you've been praying for come to Jesus it starts with you saying yes three types of people here today and I am closing I promise there are those here that you are a living breathing example of what it, what it means to say yes to God I mean God God speaks and you say yes God, and God's like, I've not even told you. I don't care, God. Whatever it is, the answer is yes. I mean, you live it out. You walk it out every day. Yes, yes, God, yes, God. You want me to speak to them? Yes, God. Here's my word for you. If that's you, don't quit. Don't stop. Don't back up. Don't retire. In fact, press in more. Say, God, where else? Who else is it you want me to say yes to? Don't stop. Second group of people. Those that really do love Jesus. You really do want to know him more. You really do want to live a life of purpose. You want to have, be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And here's what I know. Some of you, God has already been speaking to you. God has already been giving you some names of some people that need to hear your story. Showing you some faces of people that need to hear your story. I love, I think it was Brian uh, Hamby posted a couple of weeks ago about, you know, uh, he said it's great for us to invite people to church, but I feel like God is calling us to tell our story outside these four walls. And that's absolutely right. 
And God's been speaking to you, but you've been stepping back. You said yes initially, but you've stepped back because you're afraid of what it might cost you. It might cost you friends. It might cost you some social status. It might cost you some time. It might cost you some money. And you step back. Listen, I know you want to experience the move of God. I know that. I know you want things to be different in 2020. But I'm telling you, if you want to experience that, it starts with you saying yes. Not maybe, not I'll give you a decision later. It starts with you saying yes. The word of God, the word God has for you today is quit saying no. Quit making excuses. Quit ignoring him. Ask yourself, is it worth it? Is my community, my family, my children, my uh, cities, is it worth it for me to just be satisfied with warming the bench? Is it worth it? I'm going to tell you, there's no telling what God wants to do in your neighborhood. There's no telling what God wants to do in our community. He's just waiting on some yes people. Some yes people say, yes, God. The third group that's here. There are those here that what keeps you from saying yes is your past. God takes people with a past and sets them free from it. If he can take a murderer, a terrorist like Saul, and change his name to Paul, what can he do for you in your life? God doesn't want to take away your freedom. He wants to actually set you free. God doesn't want to shame you and judge you. He wants to love you, heal you, and restore you. And for you, what you need to say yes to more than anything is Jesus and a relationship with Him. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here and you say, you know, that's me. I need to say yes to Jesus. I need to say yes to a relationship with Jesus.